Well, good Sunday morning to you, church. It's great to see you this morning. Welcome to Stetson Baptist Church. If it's your first time with us, we're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. I want to share with you a quick scripture this morning. Here's some good news. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We are a child of the living God today. Can somebody say amen? The Bible also says that we did not choose him. He chose us. We are loved and we are chosen this morning. Isn't that great news? We are loved and we are chosen. Let's say that together. We are loved and we are chosen. One more time. Ready? We are loved and we are chosen. All right, church. Come on. Let's stand up. Turn to the person next to you and tell them. You are loved and you are chosen, and then we're going to sing it together. Come on.
Good morning, church. My name is Andrew, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you this morning. We would love to know that you are here in the room with us, and so I'd invite you to pull out your cell phones and check in for us. You can use one of those keywords to our phone number, or you can pull that blue card out and seat back in front of you and fill that out and drop it on the very important table in the back as you leave because there's lots of information there I want to highlight for you. One, we're starting a new series today called Dysfunctionals based on my life. I'm just kidding, though. It's on dysfunctional families in the the Bible, and so we're going to be looking at that as Pastor Dan's walking through that. There's also, as we're getting into April, a new uh, information sheet there. And then I will highlight this in just a moment is church council nominations. You can pick that up there. But coming up next Sunday is our student kids fundraiser. And it is an opportunity for you to continue to support our student and children ministry as we go to camp. Uh, we, we have one fundraiser already, and we raised about half of our goal. And so we're going to have one more next Sunday. It's going to be a pulled pork to-go meal. And so we're going to invite you to come over, be a part of that, uh, just by grabbing a meal after this service or after the 11 o'clock service. And if you can give $5, that's great. If you can give $500, that's great. It's the same pork either way, but God will bless it a little bit more if you give more, okay? All right? So we want to invite you to be a part of that and just help send students and children to camp this summer. It's a great opportunity for you to show your love and care for students as they're serving and helping out next Sunday. Also, following Sunday after that, is pizza with the pastors and it's opportunity if you don't know what our church is about um, we are for the land and we want to give you an opportunity to know our church a little bit better and so we would invite you to be a part of that it's pizza with the pastors it's exactly what it is we give you pizza and we talk about our church and you get to sit around and talk to our pastors get to know us a little bit better and so if you haven't done that before you want to know more about our church we'd invite you to be a part of that by texting pizza to the key phone number there as well and then i mentioned those church council nominations the church council is part of our organization here as a church of how we continue to make decisions. We meet together once a month, pray for our church, seek to find God's will and deliver that and to be a part of that. So if you know someone who would be a, a person that you would recommend for that, I'd encourage you to pray about that. You can text the keyword council to submit a name, or you can fill out that white form I mentioned a minute ago and put that in the, the box on the way out as well. So let's continue to worship this morning. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Dear Father, we thank you for just the opportunity you give us today to worship in your house, Father. There's nothing special about a building or this place, Father, but it's the people of God who've gathered together today. I pray that you will help us to lift high the name of Jesus, that we will honor your Son and glorify through your Spirit the name that is above every other name. Father, I pray that as we hear the name of Jesus proclaimed today, we will recognize there is no other name under heaven which man may be saved, but by the name of Jesus. Father, as Pastor Dan comes, I pray that you would just allow him to preach and proclaim your gospel message. Father, he will point people back to you and that we will leave change because of it. Father, as we continue to worship, again, let us lift high your name and your name alone. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us again as we continue to worship and proclaim God's faithfulness today?
so we can rest in his promises. So let's sing it out. I do know that it is a little odd to uh, have the word dysfunctional up on the uh, church screen and platform, and so um, I'm going to get to that here in just a second. But before I do, I just want to commend you, church, on the work that you did this week. Uh, We had an awesome uh, Wednesday night, and uh, Wednesday night we were able to come together, and together we were able to pack 60,816 meals. And uh, yeah, isn't that awesome? feeding hungry people. And uh, so I just want to give you a little taste of what happened. So check this out. Uh, Get to see a little bit of it. Hey, I am so excited about what God did through our church this past week as we had an opportunity to pack meals to serve to people that are hungry. We are already beginning to distribute those meals in our community and people are being fed because of your service. Thank you. Check this out what God did this week.
that awesome? Isn't it good to see? Yeah. So wonderful to be able to be a part of that. You know what I noticed about, I've watched that video now probably 10 or 12 times, um, just from here and, and different times, but um, the thing that I noticed about that video most of all are the smiles, people smiling. You know why we smile at moments like that? Because there's something inside of us that says that it's good and right to serve others. It's good and right for us to do for others. And just let me give you just a little bit more about that um, on Thursdays. We pack those on Wednesday night. We've still got them, and we're, we're in the process of distributing those. On Thursday, I called one of the, uh, the principals of one of our local uh, elementary schools, and I said, hey, listen, we've got meals we'd love to, uh, to bring to you if you have a way of being able to distribute those to kids or families that might be hungry. She said, I think we might be able to do that. And so on Thursday, I was able to take those to, uh, to their school office, on Friday, uh, they have about 60 kids that they send a backpack home every single weekend because they know that those families are hungry. And so just a, a real quick kind of turnaround, one of the people that you just saw in that video that was packing meals got a meal on Friday. And so they were serving others, but then they were able to be served. Isn't it awesome to just see what God's doing? That's so cool. Just love it, love it, love it love it. So thank you, church, for being so uh, faithful, for being so generous, for working so hard. And let me just tell you, if you see anybody today walking around like this, it's because all Wednesday night they stood like this. And just try that for about two and a half hours. I promise you, you will feel it. So, uh, so lots of work. It was, uh, that's one of those projects that really starts off as, oh, this is going to be fun. And then about an hour into it, you go, oh, this is a job. This is just a job, and uh, and we worked hard, but it was it was really really wonderful. Well, uh, I do want to jump into this series. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Genesis chapter. 12. Genesis chapter 12. Uh, we are all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you have one of those uh, Bibles from the rack in front of you, it's on page 8. So, uh, so right there at the beginning of the Bible, we're going to be uh, looking today. Let me just share with you a little bit about kind of where we're headed over the next several weeks. Dysfunctional. The word dysfunctional means this. It means not acting like it should. It means that something is troubled or something is problematic or something is disharmonious or something is just struggling. Just by that definition, is there anybody that would be so bold in the room as to say, I think I might be a little dysfunctional. Anybody? Yeah, I'm there. That's right. Is anybody sitting next to somebody that might be a little dysfunctional? Right, yeah. So I figured maybe you could probably figure that out one way or the other. You know, dysfunctional is not just something. No, when we think about dysfunctional, a lot of times we put the word dysfunctional families together. But honestly, we can be very dysfunctional just in our own lives. And what we're going to find is that there's a lot of dysfunction that we find in the Bible. I actually read this uh, this week as I was preparing. I thought this was great. The only non-dysfunctional families are those with less than two members. Right? Because you just get to live alone and do your thing. But actually, we probably bring some dysfunction to ourselves. And so I don't even know if that's, if that's actually that's actually true. Uh, one of the things that I love about the Word of God, and, and one of the reasons, uh, not the only, but one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is accurate and it is true and it is exactly what is intended is because if I were writing a book that I wanted people to believe in, that I wanted people to, to devote their lives to, I would not tell these stories. 
I would skip over the stories like the ones that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. Because what we find just in the book of Genesis, and it trust me, it goes on from there. But just in the book of Genesis, we find lots of dysfunction. <laughs> we find lots of problems. We find lots of issues. So I hope through this series there's a couple of things. First of all, we want to learn something every time we gather together, every time we come together. But we also, in this, I hope that you'll kind of read some of these and say, well, I, I feel better now. I mean, at least I'm not that bad, right? And we're going to kind of get to that. So the, the, the idea here is sometimes in the Bible we have uh, things that are prescriptive. So we'll read something and it'll be prescriptive. That means this is what should happen. Sometimes we, we kind of, it will say, this is a story and you need to follow this story. This is the way that, that things should be in life. And then sometimes in the Bible, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you in many of the stories we're going to look at over the next several weeks, it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's not what should happen. It's what did happen. It's just simply telling you the story and saying, hey, we want to lay this out for you. This is what happened. You need to know it. So that's kind of, that's kind of where we're going to be. This is very descriptive, but we're going to learn some things along the way. I'll also tell you that as we look at, uh, at Genesis chapter 12, I need to give you a quick summary of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Some of you are like, you're going to summarize 11 chapters of the Bible? I am. Here it is. Creation. Sin, fall, flood, terrible. All right? That's the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. I mean, it is just, people are, it's like God created everything. He created everything perfect. Man sinned. They fell. They were separated from God. Then we have Noah, and he basically, God destroys the entire world, every living thing, except those that are on the boat, and he kind of starts over, and it doesn't go, you would think, well, maybe they learned their lesson. They didn't. They actually built this big tower and decided that they were going to be like God, and, and it was just terrible. And then we get to Genesis chapter 12, and it's almost like God starts over again with a man named Abram. Let's read about him. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Don't you wish that you could get a voice from heaven from God like that? Hey, pick up your stuff, go to the place where I'm going to I'll show you when you get there. Just start driving. And when you get there, when you get to the place where I want you to get, I'll tell you that you're there. And when you get there and you settle down and you do what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your family. Basically, the entire world is going to be blessed by you. You're going to be prosperous. You're going to be rich. You're going to be all these wonderful things. It's going to go well for you. Anybody who blesses you, I'm going to bless. Anybody who curses you, I'm going to curse. Trust me, I'm on your side. Wouldn't you like a promise from God like that? That's the promise that Abram gets. This is kind of the re-entrance of a, of a God that blesses his created people. Crazy enough, Abram believes God. It says in verse 5, so Abram went. Hey, go to a place I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless you. It's going to be great. The whole world's going to be blessed through you. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old 
when he started this journey, when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanite, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land, but the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. This is the place. You're going to get to be here. Your offspring will, will actually prosper here. So he built an altar to the Lord who, who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. What we see here is a picture of Abram's faithfulness. He continues. He, he picks up his stuff at 75 years old. He takes his family. He takes his nephew. He takes all of his belongings. And he takes off. And God finally says, this is the place. You're going to be able to live here. Your family's going to live here. Your offspring will live here. I'm going to give your offspring this land. So he builds an altar to God in worship to God. And then he continues on to the place where he's going to settle down. And he builds an altar to God to worship God. It's a picture of Abram's faithfulness and his belief in God. Some of you are saying, I thought that this was a story about being dysfunctional. Oh, just wait. Because you see, everything's great. Abram has found his home. Abram has, you know, he's followed God. He knows that God's with him. He knows that God is blessing him. He knows that God's taking care of him. He knows that God is around him. He knows that God is leading him. Verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, everybody go, dun, dun, dun. I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister. That it may go well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the, prince, when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And we find out later, and treated like his wife. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. Okay, so let me just go ahead and take a pause here and tell you, descriptive, not prescriptive. If any of you men are thinking at all about passing your wife off as your sister, let this pastor be a really good voice of reason for you. Don't do that. It will not go well with you. It will not be a good situation. <laughs> but, but hey, Abram did it, and he got some camels. Great job, Abram. Right? I mean, this is crazy. He was a faithful believer that believed God. But you see, he's still cautious. And there's something inside of him that makes him fearful. 
He passes off his wife as his sister. Pharaoh believes him, takes Sarai into his home as his wife. And wow. But you see, nothing escapes the view of God. Verse 17, it says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, Well, what is this you have done to me? Well, why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I'm kind of asking that same question. So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of town. It's not exactly what it said, but I'm sure that's how he expressed it. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. He got to keep the camels, but he also got his wife. Pharaoh realizes, we don't know exactly what happened. You know, there's another time in the book of Exodus where we see some plagues come against Egypt, and we know exactly what those plagues are. We don't know what this plague was. It might have been sickness. It might have been one of the plagues that, that was like the ones in, in, uh, in the book of Exodus. We don't exactly know, but what we know is that something happened in Egypt. Something happened in Pharaoh's family. Something happened to Pharaoh that he said, this is not good. Something's wrong. And I don't know how he came over to Sarai to say it must be her, but he probably started asking around, anybody done anything wrong? Anybody, anybody, anybody. I'm, something's not going right. I need something better to happen. It's obvious that we've done something wrong because God is against us. And maybe Sarai kind of raised her hand and said, I think I might know. See, I'm, I'm like married to him, but I'm, it's, like, I'm, it's like you're treating me like I'm married to you and this is not good. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it's me. And so Pharaoh goes to Abram and says, why in the world would you do this to me? This is terrible. Who do you think you are? Why would you tell? Just be honest. And some of us are kind of thinking the same way. I'll tell you, when I read this story, that is, that is dysfunctional, isn't it? I mean, anybody who read that story outside of the word of God and outside, I mean, if you read this story in the newspaper today, would you be like, Oh, neat story. Okay. Pass it on. No, this would not be one you would forward. This would not be one that you would like or share. And if you did share, it would be like, oh my. We live in a crazy world with a bunch of crazy people, right? Guess what? This is some crazy. Again, do, do you understand now why I say it's another reason why I believe the accuracy of the word of God. Because if I'm writing a book that I want people to believe in, I'm not writing that part. Abram is like one of the heroes. He gets renamed later Abraham. And he becomes the father of many nations. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. It's really amazing what God does through Abraham. But right here he's passing his wife off as his sister. This is crazy. It's really dysfunctional. So what can we learn from this? All right, so I got to deal with the obvious one first. Hey, don't pretend like your spouse is your sibling. All right, that's, that's like number one. If you want to write that down or take a picture of it, you can. But I hope maybe you can remember that, all right? Don't treat your spouse like they're your sibling. That's the that's the number one lesson. It's a, it's a pretty simple one. But there's a lot more under the surface. 
This is actually a really powerful story. And it's powerful not just because of what happens, but it's powerful because of what God does in the midst of the dysfunction. I want you to hear a few things, a few truths that we can kind of glean from this text. Here's one. Please hear this. God's work in your life is not dependent on your perfection. This is so important for us to hear. God God can use you even if you're not like polished. God can use you even though you're not maybe worthy. God is not looking for your perfection so that he can do something in your life. As a matter of fact, most of the time, God actually does great things in our life in spite of our imperfection. (laughs) We're, we're, We're sometimes a bunch of dysfunctional people, aren't we? And God does great things even in the midst of our dysfunction, not... In spite, I mean, isn't it great that God, that God doesn't look for us to be perfect and polished so that he can, so that he can use us? By the way, just a couple of advances I'll, I'll give you. Um, <laughs> Abram passed his wife off as his sister in chapter 12 of Genesis. Hey, He does it again in Genesis 20. Twice. He does it twice. He does it again. I'm like, did you not learn the first time? What kind of a fool are you? Even in the midst, though, of his imperfection, check it out. Abraham, at a ripe age of like 100 years old, he has a child named Isaac. Eventually, Isaac has a child named Jacob. Jacob has 12 kids, and they change Jacob's name later in life. They change it from Jacob to Israel, and those 12 kids become the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. One of them is named Judah, and out of the tribe of Judah we, Judah, we have the line of King David. And from the line of King David, guess who we get? We get Jesus. From Abraham, the whole world is blessed. A guy that passed off his wife as his sister twice. This is crazy. But it just goes to show us that God can use you even though you're not perfect. Even though you don't have it all figured out, God can use you. Isn't that good? That's so good. Even more though, I need you to hear this. That, And I'm going to say this and then I'm going to explain it because it might sound a little, it might feel a little odd before you hear an explanation. Please hear it. Righteousness, being right, living a, perf- living a life of perfection. <laughs> Righteousness is actually a state of being, not an action or a feeling. 
Righteousness is, a, is something that you are, not something you do. Now, be sure that we hear this. Some people are saying, oh, well, that means I'm righteous, but I can do anything I want to do. No, when being righteous should mean that you do some righteous things, okay? It should, it should flow out into some righteous actions, but so many people have it, have it like mixed up and reversed and they say, I'm going to do a bunch of righteous things so that I can be righteous. I'm going to do a bunch of good stuff so that I can be a good person. I'm going to live and, and act in a good way so that I can be a good person. Can I just tell you something? And this is just something that you need to understand. There's no such thing as a good person. Not me, not you. Because the Bible actually says that if we sin at any point, if we break the law, God's law, God's rules, if we break God's rules at any point, then we break the rules at all points. That's a little uncomfortable, but it's true. If we mess up anywhere, we mess up everywhere. We need to understand that God is calling us to live a life of righteousness, but we cannot do it, but we can be it. Because God has made us righteous. Righteousness is a state of being, not an action or a feeling. This is one of the ways that we see this from the book, from the book of Romans, talking about Abraham. It says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. As righteousness. He didn't do anything. As a matter of fact, what he did was very unrighteous. But when he believed God, trusted him, put his faith in him, said, Lord, you told me to go, I'll go. The Bible says that God counted it to him, imputed it to him, imparted it to him. God inserted into him, you are righteous even though you do some pretty unrighteous things. By the way, this is true for us as well. Because there's not a person in this room, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you've done, there's not a person in this room that is truly good. And I'll say it this way. This is a, this is a scary moment. It's something I need you to hear really clearly because there are people that are seated right here in this room. There are people that, will, that were seated here earlier and will be here later. There are people that are seated in churches all over the world today that literally believe that their actions and their life and their lifestyle and their choices are what is going to get them to heaven. Well, I'm going to get to heaven because I'm a good person. I believe that I'm a Christian because, I, because I, I live a good life. Or, this is even worse, I believe that I'm good because I'm not as bad as such and such over there. At least they're worse than me. It's kind of like, it's kind of like all you have to do to survive a bear attack. You don't have to unru- outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the other person that's trying to outrun the bear. You know, as long as you're in front of them, you're good because the bear's going to get them first. You know what I'm saying? It's that idea that as, at least I'm not as bad as such and such. And so God's obviously going to get that person. I'll be good. <laughs> I got news for you. There's no such thing as good. You can't do it. The only way that you can truly be righteous, the only way that you can achieve righteousness is through Jesus. It's the only way. 
There is no such thing as being a good person or being a righteous person or living a righteous life unless it is through Jesus. You can do all the good things you want to do. You can try all the good things that you want to try. But the only way that we can truly be righteous is through Jesus, who was born perfect, spotless, sinless, and who lived his entire life and never sinned. And he died and shed his blood on the cross. And he paid the price for me, and he paid the price for you. He is the key to our righteousness. He's the only way. Paul said it like this when he wrote to the church at Corinth. He said, for our sake, he, that was God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this is going to be uncomfortable for some people in the room, but I just want to read it one more time and I want to put even more emphasis on a very important point. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God. I want to illustrate that in a, in a specific way. We're just going to leave that up there. I want you to read it through. I want you to think about it. We're going to play a little game. I need you to get your hands free. We're going to have some raising hand moments, okay? So I just want you to, I want you to play this game with me. Stay with me for just a second. This game is called Who is More Righteous? Or maybe it could be called Who is At Least As Righteous As? Okay? So here's, here's, here's the way we're going to play. If you are as righteous as the person that I name, then you raise your hand, okay? So is there anybody here that would say that you are at least as righteous as a death row inmate? Anybody? Okay, we're going to invite the cops in in just a minute and ask them to investigate all of you because all of you just said that you are not as righteous as a death row inmate. Let me ask it one more time. It is a, okay, I mean, so all of you have committed murder. Is that what you're telling me? Wow. Okay. Uh, is anybody here as righteous as a death row inmate? Like equal to? I don't know. I think this is a trick question. Okay. It's two hands. That's awesome. I saw a hand going like this. I saw a few hands going. All right. Let's, let's, uh, uh, let me, let me, let me go maybe down the, down the slope, maybe up the slope, depending on your perspective. How about this? How many of you would say that you were at least as righteous as a politician? You picked the politician. Anybody? Oh yeah, that's me. Yeah. We were, we were questionable at death row inmate. When you said politician, I'm like, yes, that's me. I'm in. Right? So yeah, I, I, I get it. That's, that's a little uncomfortable. How many of you would say that you were at least as righteous as the person sitting next to you? You can pick left or right. Some of you, oh my goodness. I see a lot of husbands going, I am not raising my hand. There is no way. And I see a lot of kids that are sitting beside their parent going, how many of you would say that you were at least as righteous as your pastor? I see my kid, I see my wife. 
It's a lot of hands down. All right, you ready? How many of you would say that you were at least as righteous as Jesus Christ, the son of the living God? Hmm. <laughs> I see that. Somebody's raising her hand and her brother's going, put that hand down. <laughs> you are not. I want you to stay with me for just a second. And I want to read this scripture one more time and I want you to hear it. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. He knew no sin. So that in Jesus, we might become, we might be the very righteousness of God. Do you know what that means? That means that when we receive Christ as our Savior, when we receive the forgiveness that he offers, when he pays the price for our sins and wipes the slate clean, it means that when somebody asks us if we are as righteous as the very Son of the living God, Jesus Christ himself, our hand should say, I am, am as righteous as Jesus. I'll ask it again. You better raise your hand or we're gonna, it's going to be a really long sermon. How many of you would say that you are? I know this is going to be uncomfortable. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. How many of you would say that based on the fact that you have given your life to Jesus and you have received his forgiveness of sins? Now listen, if you have not given your life to Jesus, keep your hand down because I don't want lightning to strike you, all right? But if you have given your life to Jesus, if you have accepted him as your Lord and as your Savior, if he has paid the price for your sins, if the blood that he shed on the cross covers your sins and has forgiven you and paid the price, it is the sacrifice for once and for all. If he has given you righteousness, because of something he has done, not because, not because you always act like it, but because Jesus has made you righteous. If you are as righteous as Jesus Christ, the very son of the living God, would you raise your hand? Yeah, that's a little different, isn't it? Uncomfortable? Yeah, it, it is a little uncomfortable, isn't it? But the Bible is true. And please hear this. We are not we are not boasting in that and we're certainly we don't always act like it, do we? But when we give our life to Jesus, we have been made. Remember, righteousness is a state of being, not a state of acting. It's a state of beating, being, not a state of feeling. If Jesus made you righteous, how dare you call him a liar? Right? He has made you righteous. He has made you clean. He has made you pure. Not because you always act like it, but because he has granted it to you. And he did it to Abram even after he passed his wife off as his sister. He granted it to him as righteous. Here's the reality, and this is where I want to conclude today. Sometimes, many times, some might even say all the time, God uses unrighteous acting people to accomplish his righteous plan. God 
has a plan for your life. And God has a plan around your life. And God has a task and, 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 a, and a mission for you to accomplish. And he is not looking for you to be perfect so that you can take on the responsibility. He is inviting you to take on the responsibility because he has made you righteous. You are clean because of him. Isn't that good? So this morning, I, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to recognize that and to understand it. There may be someone here today who says, I, I've never, I, I, I don't feel that righteous. It's not about feeling. I don't act that righteous. It's not about acting. <laughs> but if you're sitting there saying, I know that I am not I know that I am not because I've never given my life to him. Then my friend, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So would you just pray with me? Father, I thank you for the way that you work in our lives. I thank you for the way that you, you speak to us. And God, I thank you that you have a purpose in, our, in, our, in this moment. You have a purpose for each one of us here. So I just pray that you would work in our hearts and our lives and that we would rest in you. If you're here today and you've, as we've been talking about this, if you're sitting there going, yeah, I, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm not that person. I'm not that righteous person. I haven't given my life to Jesus. I've never received him as my savior. If for you, it's not just about acting, it's about being. But today you realize that you want to make that exchange. You want to give your life to him. You want to believe in him fully. I would love to pray with you, to pray for you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you by name. Just want to give you an opportunity to respond. Friend, if you've never given your life to Jesus, but you want to do it right here, right now, all I'm asking you to do is just slip your hand up in the air. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to do it right here, right now. Is there anybody? This is your moment. I want to give my life to Jesus right here, right now. Amen. Anyone else? Yeah, amen. Anybody else? Sometimes it only takes one, and all of a sudden people are raising their hands all over the room. Maybe you're that person. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to point you out. Just between you and God, anybody else. If you raised your hand just a minute ago, or maybe, maybe you didn't for whatever reason, but you want to give your life to Jesus, I just want to invite you to, to pray this real simple prayer. I'm going to pray just a phrase of it, and you can just pray it along with me. As a matter of fact, I just believe that nobody should ever pray alone, so we're all going to pray with you. We're all just going to kind of say this prayer together. But you, those of you that raised your hand, those of you that want to invite Jesus to come into your life, this is, this is that moment. So would you just simply pray this prayer with me all over the room? Dear Jesus, I come to you knowing I'm a sinner. I have messed up so much in my life. I feel pretty dysfunctional. But I thank you for coming and for living a perfect life 
for dying on the cross for me. I ask you to come into my life. Come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. Be my savior. And help me to live for you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me righteousness. Now help me to live it out every day. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, isn't it good to see God doing wonderful things in this room? There are people right here among you that just prayed for the very first time to give their life to Jesus. I just want to say, if you were one of those people who prayed that prayer and you believe that you asked Jesus to come into your heart, we would love to talk with you. We'll be down here at the end of the service. We'd love to talk with you about what God's doing, answer any questions you might have. We're so, so proud of what God is doing in your life. Right now, let's all stand and let's sing this closing chorus, this closing time. Let's continue to worship.